Gracious God, we ask your blessing upon our life. We ask your blessing upon our church and upon our study today. We pray that you would show up, that you would bless our dialogue, that you'd fill our hearts with grace and truth, and that you would equip us and transform us ever more into your likeness today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, so just a, a few notes. We have Adam and Eve having children. Cain and Abel are their two sons. And clearly there's some sibling rivalry here that results in Abel's death. We have Abel being a shepherd and a keeper of the sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. It's important to know that in the Bronze Age, there was often a pretty intense rivalry between farmer settlements and herdsmen who would move around over natural resources, right? The sheep were always eating the settlements of the farmers, and there was some conflict there. And so one way this has been read is as an early story symbolizing that great rivalry between those two different ways of being. But of course, I think that this can be read at a much deeper level. There is something archetypal about it and something that really goes straight to the core of the human predicament around jealousy and envy and murder. This text has been read a whole lot of different ways. You know, one way this has been read Christologically and figuratively is that Abel, who is a keeper of the sheep, is symbolic and representative of the good shepherd. And it is the good shepherd's death at the hands of his brothers that leads to the offering that is pleasing to God. Now, certainly that is not going to be in the consciousness of whoever wrote Genesis. And thus, I think we need to look at it a lot of different ways. We discussed this passage in our Sunday group, and one of the things that was noted is a question, which is, is God arbitrary and unfair? Why is it that God has regard for Abel's offering, but not necessarily? 
necessarily for Kane's offering. So that might be a question we play with. It is worth noting that Abel does bring the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions, whereas Cain is said to have just brought an offering. And so one interpretation has been, well, Cain actually doesn't give God his best. And a question that we asked at the end of our Sunday study is, what does it mean to bring God our best? But for whatever reason, two brothers make an offering and God does not have regard for one of the offerings. And Cain understandably is angry. His countenance falls. And notice how the Lord pursues Cain. He does not leave Cain to stew in his anger, but in a very caring way, he says, why are you angry? You know, why has your countenance fallen? And God reminds Cain to do well, but also that sin is lurking at the door, uh, almost desiring to master him. It's as if at this point, sin is personified. This is really the first time sin is personified in scripture, but this is the way that Paul and the New Testament authors speak of sin. Sin is not a disobedient act. Sin is a power. Sin lurks. Sin is alive. And already in the narrative of Genesis chapter four, this alive force called sin is lurking, trying to get Cain into its grasp. It very much reminds me of what Jesus says to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. It's almost as if God is saying sin is lurking to sift you like wheat, but don't fall for it. Do well. But notice Cain does not do well. And what he does is very intentionally take his brother Abel into the field. And so if we're going to go back to Genesis chapter three, um, Adam and Eve were tricked, right? There is a serpent that kind of sets them up to eat this fruit from the tree. And whenever Eve said the serpent tricked me, she wasn't being dishonest. The serpent did trick her. The serpent did entice her. That doesn't mean that she and Adam were not responsible for their sin, but in a sense, there's some compassion we have for them because the snake really initiated the whole interaction and did entice them to sin. But notice Cain's deliberateness. He says, let us go out into the field. If you're a prosecutor, this is clearly premeditated murder in the first degree. Cain rose up against his brother Abel. He killed him in his anger and jealousy. And so the deliberate nature of Cain's sin is being highlighted. And part of what's also being highlighted, I think, is that the fall is not a one-time event but this growing fall away from God. Things are accelerating. Sin is no longer a choice, but something lurking at the door, seeking to master people. Now, no longer are we sinning because we're tricked by a snake, but we are deliberately murdering our brothers. So the amplification of sin and disobedience and chaos in the world, disorder, right? We talked about the order important to Genesis 1 and 2. Now disorder is entering the world and growing violence. And of course, that's going to be a big theme we look at next week when we talk about why God chose to flood the world and have Noah build an ark. Things are getting out of control. And this story kind of starts that out. There's also that line about how the earth opened its mouth to receive Abel's blood. Uh, the Hebrew says, cursed shall you be by the soil that gaped with its mouth to drink your brother's blood. And so remember, in Genesis 1, the earth was nourished by a stream that watered the garden. 
Now the earth is like a big gaping mouth drinking human blood. The imagery is very strong and there's a very big contrast between the harmony and beauty and love we see in Genesis chapter one to what we see in Genesis chapter four. And I think part of what's being noted is that the creation itself falls as the people given dominion over that creation fall, right? So Adam and Eve and their children were given dominion over this creation, but they are falling away from God. And thus the earth they've been given to steward falls with them. And so the whole creation seems to be unraveling and falling apart. There's that great question that Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper? And of course, Christians have a very clear answer to this question. The answer is yes, of course, we are our brother's keeper, right? It's obvious. God has entrusted us to one another. But the very fact that Cain can murder his brother and basically say, not my responsibility, not my job, right? That seems to be the essence of what is coming upon the earth. Now, notice God's mercy towards Cain. A lot of conversation can be had about why God did not accept Cain's offering. But notice God is very much in pursuit of Cain. He notices that Cain is angry. He says, why are you sad? And even after Cain has to suffer a punishment, notice how God places a mark upon him. And this mark is not a stigma. This is a protective mark so that no one who comes upon him would kill him. And of course, if we need a reminder that this is a genre of true myth and not a literal piece of history, we have to ask the question, well, who would kill him? There's Adam, there's Eve, and there's Cain and Abel, and Cain's already taken out the next guy. So who is there to kill Cain? And it's just a reminder that the peoples that surround Cain are all part of this mythic world that is being set up in the book of Genesis, telling the beginning of human history and not to take it too literally. There are other people on the earth. And then we're told that Cain settles somewhere in the land of Nod, east of Eden. If you've ever read that great book by John Steinbeck, this is where that comes from. But that phrase, east of Eden, is used for the first time in Genesis chapter 4. Okay, so I'm going to pick up with verse 17. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch and he built a city and named it Enoch after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. Irad was the father of Mahushahel. Mahushahel, the father of Mahushahel. Mahushahel, the father of Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jubal. He was the ancestor of those who live in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the ancestor of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah bore Tubal Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech. 77 fold. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, because Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to invoke the name of 
the Lord. So a few quick notes here. You have Cain building a city and naming it after his son. Seems like a small detail, but I think it's also important to note that the book of Genesis has a little bit of an anti-urban bias, right? Genesis chapter 11 will culminate with uh, a city that seeks to build a tower to the heavens and name it after themselves. What does Cain do? He builds a city and names it after himself. And that might seem like a small detail, but this city should be dedicated to God. It should be given to the glory of God, but instead you have people building things and naming it after their son. Again, it might look harmless on the outside, but I think something deeper is being named, that human beings are drifting away, they're building things themselves, they're naming it for their own glory. And the fact that we have at the end of this passage, at this time people began to invoke the name of the Lord, that might seem like a positive good detail, but I don't read it that way. Why? Because God has been walking with his people. Why would they need to invoke the name of the Lord? Cain did not invoke the name of the Lord. God spoke to him directly. Right at the very beginning of this chapter, Adam and Eve spoke to God directly. God was dealing directly with people, but now people are invoking the name of the Lord. And to me, this really speaks to this slide away from God. This intimacy with God experienced in a direct way is being lost and invoking the name of the Lord through ritual and sacrifice and all sorts of customs then begins. Uh, And so I read this myself as a continuation of the fall. The intimacy is lost. Now we invoke the name of the Lord. And then we have this great little poem here about a man named Lamech. And Lamech takes two wives, Ada and Zillah. And basically what he does is he says, listen to what I have to say to you. I killed a man for wounding me, right? So this is not an eye for an eye. This is much stronger than an eye for an eye. And he says, if Cain be avenged sevenfold, then I will be avenged 77-fold. And so this idea of vengeance and glorifying violence and glorifying murder is being celebrated. So notice the slide, right? It starts with Adam and Eve being tricked by a snake. From there, it goes to Cain deliberately taking his brother out into the field and murdering him, but not celebrating it. And by the time we get to Lamech, he's boasting, he's singing songs, he's bragging about how no one's going to mess with him. He's going to kill anyone who messes with him. And that if Cain is going to be avenged sevenfold, that he is worthy of being avenged 77-fold. And so this really speaks, again, to the continuous nature of the fall, how people are sliding deeper into violence and into doing things their own way. And a little tidbit, in Matthew chapter 18, we recall this moment where Peter comes to Jesus and says, if someone sins against me, how often should I forgive? Is seven times enough. And Jesus says, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. What is Jesus doing? He's basically saying, I cancel out and reverse the law of Lamech, right? So Jesus was referencing in a very subtle way, 
this curse that Lamech issues in Genesis chapter four, that is to be the rule of the fallen world where we get back 77 times what people do to us. And Jesus says, well, in the kingdom of God, that's reversed. You're going to forgive 77 times. And so that's just a little tidbit about what Jesus was doing in that moment with Peter. But Genesis chapter four, it essentially introduces and reinforces some themes we've already been talking about. One is exile. The march east of Eden continues. There's also the question of our offering to God, right? Abel brings the very best offering of his flock to God. And I think it's worth us asking in today's world, what does it mean to bring God our very best offering? I think that there are a lot of echoes of Genesis chapter three in this chapter, and more specifically, the idea of a continuous fall. There's this sinful cycle on repeat that gets a little bit worse every time. And it really culminates at the end of the book of Judges. It doesn't stop there. But if you ever study the book of Judges, it's just more and more of the cycles that seem to amplify that are introduced in this chapter where people make decisions to go at it alone and to move deeper and deeper away from God. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and stop there and we'll see what questions and comments you have.